Well, happy Mother's Day. Great to see all of you here today. And uh, we are a church at West Cabarrus that loves to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we rejoice with you moms today, rejoice with the families. At the same time, we also want to weep with those who weep and comfort one another. And so I would just say, just like Becky did as she opened service, if uh, maybe this is your first Mother's Day without um, your mom, just know that we prayed for you this week and I prayed for you this morning. Uh, maybe there are some ladies in here that would love to be moms and just haven't been able to yet. Prayed for you as well. But every single one of us in the room have a mom, and so honor her well today. Let's celebrate and rejoice with her, whether that's if she's in town, meeting up with her, or a phone call if she's out of town. But just honor your moms well as we celebrate Mother's Day. All right, we're in John chapter 8. We've been going through this series through the Gospel of John, Believe and Live, because that's what the book's all about. That's what Jesus is doing page after page in the Gospel of John, is calling us to believe and believing that we would live. And this isn't... um, a normal Mother's Day sermon that you might hear. We've just been going through the book, and so here we are. What you're actually going to see when we read this is that Jesus is going to talk about fathers a lot, and he's going to talk about uh, some have the father of lies as their dad. And uh, so it's a little bit heavier of a passage, a little tense, uh, but there's some really great truths that I believe that God wants us to see today and to live in our lives. And as I'm reading it and even thinking about it this week, I honestly feel like a lot of you moms can probably relate to, uh, to Jesus in this moment because Jesus is dealing with um, a lot of tired people and a lot of people who want to argue. And, uh, and so if you know the context of this, uh, it's interesting. This is the, the last day of the uh, Feast of Booze. Feast of Booze is where they remember how they were brought out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt. And they've been staying outside of the city, remembering how God walked with them through the wilderness. And so for seven, eight days, for a week, they've been camping outside in a lean-to. Now, I don't know about you, you might love camping. Uh, I enjoy camping. I've, I've been camping before. Um, but normally I do it for a weekend, two, three days, something like that. And by the end of that, I'm ready to get back home, enjoy heat or air conditioning, right? Uh, enjoy a nice soft pillow, things like that. You know, a nice soft bed. But uh, a week long, I've never done. Uh, but I'm sure by the end of the week, you're just really exhausted. I need a shower, right? I need to, to get back home to my home and my bed. And this is probably what these people are thinking right now. They've been sleeping outside for a week, and now they're here at the end of the Feast of Booze, and they're tired, they're exhausted, probably a little cranky. And they start to argue with Jesus as Jesus in his grace and his mercy is sharing with them truth. And a key word you're going to see, freedom, in this passage. And so some of them start to argue and debate with Jesus. So... Uh, I feel like you mothers can probably relate a little bit to that. But let's look at verse 31 at what Jesus says to them. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now they answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave, or the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because... My words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, 
Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're not, you are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You, you are the father, you are of the father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we pray confessing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you help us to understand this truth in this passage today and reject lies? We confess that there are many lies around us and that there is a temptation to believe those lies that lead us to sin and slavery. So would you give us discernment through your spirit and the truth of your word to find life in you today? Let me invite you in this moment of silence to pray something similar that God would help you to see the truth and to reject a lie. Pray and ask him to speak to you now. Would you also pray for me as we look at this tense passage in the life of Christ and yet also the tender truth that Christ shares that I would be able to communicate that grace and truth clearly. Pray that for me now. Lord Jesus, these words have been written that we may believe that you're the Christ and that in believing in you, we would have life in your name. And so Lord, you help us today to do that. Help us to believe and live in you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, this passage talks a lot about truth and a lot about freedom. And I take it as an absolute certainty that everyone in this room and online desires to be free, right? Not everyone else in this world wants everybody else to be free, but we all individually desire this freedom. We want this freedom for ourselves. We long for it. We dream about it. We, we protest for freedom. We're even willing to die for freedom, right? We give speeches about freedom. And yet, as much as we long for it, as much as we dream about it, as much as we protest for it, as, long as, as much as we speak about it, very few of us actually have found the deep freedom we long for. And this passage tells us where we can find that freedom that our souls long for. 
And Jesus tells us that we find this freedom in truth. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is what truly makes us free. And so what I want to do as we walk through these verses that I just read to you is I want us to talk about a truth that Jesus highlights and I want us to also talk about the myth that we're tempted to believe or our world preaches at us. And so first, let's start with the myth. The first myth is that freedom is found in being your own Lord. We believe this. This is the myth that our culture preaches and that our heart believes that freedom, true freedom is found in being our own Lord. You see, when we talk about freedom, our understanding of freedom in the United States is autonomy, independence, right? That's what we think about, political freedom, which I'm all for those things. Like those are good things. But the definition of freedom for each one of those is I do what I want to do. And nobody tells me what to do because I'm free. But what Jesus is going to say is that every single one of us in this room and online, we all serve a Lord. We all serve a Lord. We all bow the knee to someone or something. And if we bow our knee to say freedom is total autonomy, Jesus is going to say that that's not true freedom. That's not true freedom. You see, some of us bow our knee to our career. That's our Lord. If we can move up the ladder, that's where we find our purpose and our identity. That's where we find our fulfillment is in our career. And what we find there is actually chains. Some of us look to relationships. That's where we find our acceptance and our purpose is we look at our relationships and our life and we think this is what's going to satisfy us. This is what's going to fulfill us. And so we will sacrifice our time, our energy, our thoughts for relationships, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship, because that's where our identity rests and that's where we feel like we're truly going to be freed. We're going to take that deep breath and be satisfied. Some of us look at family and think that. Some of our deepest wounds come from our family. Some of our deepest longings for, is for what our family is not or what we hoped our family would be and they're not. So we bow our knee to our family, anything for our family because our family is everything. Some of us look to money. That's where we bow our knee. That's where we give it all to. The reality is we all live for something. We all live for a purpose and whatever that purpose is, whatever you're living for, that is your Lord. You cannot live a life without purpose. So what is it that controls you? What is it that has become your Lord? Some of you may think, Ryan, what are you talking about? I don't serve anyone or anything. I'm my own master. I'm my own Lord. What you serve is your independence. That's what's ultimate to you. Your whole life is lived around your independence, which is why you can't commit to anything or to anyone. Because you've got to have all the freedom in your world. And so literally your life is shaped around independence. That's the reason you're lonely. And you're telling yourself over and over again, I'm strong enough not to care. I don't care. And what is it that you, what is it that we are pursuing that we think is going to bring freedom, that we think is going to bring life? And Jesus says, if we look for anything apart from him to give us freedom and life, we'll be tyrannized by it. It won't break our chains. It'll heap more chains on our souls. You see, we give our hearts, we give our lives, we bow our knee to something. If we bow our knee to the wrong thing, then we're not free. We're in chains. 
And some of us, and we might be responding just like the people in this passage did, you hear Jesus saying, hey, I offer freedom here. And if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And your response, what you're thinking in your mind is, Ryan, you're saying all those things, I'm not enslaved to anybody. I'm not enchained to anything. What are you talking about, Ryan? That's exactly what these people said. Jesus says this, this appeal, this invitation, if you believe in me, you will be free indeed. And they respond in verse 33. What are you talking about? We've never been enslaved. We're, you know, we're offspring of Abraham. We're not enslaved to anybody. Which, there's some humor here if you know your Bible well. Because what have they just been celebrating? Feast of booze. What did that celebrate? How they were enslaved in Egypt and how God had freedom from slavery. And here they're saying, we've never been enslaved to anybody. I mean, even if you didn't know your Bible at this time, you could just be like, hey, have you been down to like the newspaper stand? If you open up a newspaper, like you're in Roman occupied territory. Like you're enslaved right now. Like you're not your own nation. You're not your own people right now. And that's not even talking about the other nations throughout history, like Babylon and Assyria who had enslaved the people. And here they stand before Jesus who offers them freedom. And they're like, don't want it. Don't need it. We've never been enslaved. What's going on? What's going on in, in their lives is the very thing that goes on in our lives. That what sin does is it blinds us to the truth. It blinds us to reality. So, so what Jesus does in his gracious mercy is he looks at them and he clarifies things. In verse 34, he says, anyone who practices sin, man, he's enslaved to sin. See, they're thinking about nations and Jesus is thinking about the soul and the heart. He's saying, you have chains. It's just chains you can't see. You might be able to feel them, but you don't understand them. So some of us are in the same boat today. We, we read this and we're like, we're not enslaved to anyone. And that's the deception of sin. But Jesus would speak and say, if you're, if you're bowing your knee to any of those things before me, then, then you're enslaved to those things. You're enslaved to those sins. Now, the question is, how, how are those things enslaving us? Like, how are those things actual chains around our souls? Well, think about it. If your appearance, if your appearance is what you bow your knee to, you'll sacrifice everything to make sure you're in the gym and you're eating healthy and you look beautiful, then you're bowing your knee to that Lord of appearance. And one day, you'll look in that mirror through the age of time and you will see that that Lord has ground you into a pulp and has beat you over time. That Lord that you gave your life to ultimately is forsaking you. If you're living your life and having money as the primary thing for which you live and your thoughts and your desires and your joys are all founded on money, then when the stock market crashes, you lose your self-worth. You lose your self-worth. And everything you had, that, all that money, all of that was to fulfill you and it didn't it left you these are chains these are chains if you are pursuing your whole life and bending your knee to to love relationships and that person cheats on you or leaves you or god forbid that that person passes like and that was your whole world that's literally everything that you had then your whole world falls apart See, those are, those are chains. You see, if it's friends or family, then you will sacrifice everything, everything. 
in order to be accepted by people. You'll sacrifice your views, your, your beliefs, you'll sacrifice your money, you'll sacrifice romantic relationships just in order to be accepted by friends. And that is a dangerous place to be. Those are chains. You see, we pursue all these things thinking that in this longing, I'll eventually be satisfied when really what it is is a merry-go-round of dissatisfaction. We go up and we go down, around and around, and we're dissatisfied over and over again. Those are chains. And yeah, you might hop on the merry-go-round at the beginning. And you're like, man, I'm riding the horse this time. This is great. You're excited about it, but eventually that wears out. And you're like, well, I got to ride the, the rabbit next time. When I'm riding that around the merry-go-round, then things will be different. And you ride this over and over again, this dissatisfaction. These are the chains that we feel because we're taking things that are meant to be second, good things, and we're making them first. And when we do that, we're enslaving ourselves to the wrong Lord. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, if you put the first things first, we get the second things thrown in. But if you put the second things first, you will lose both the first and the second things. And Jesus knows this, which is why he's saying, no, have the first thing first. Put the Lord as the Lord of your life. Live for him and that's where you'll find freedom. The kind of freedom Jesus is talking about here is an eternal freedom. That's found in what your creator says and believes about you. Not what the mirror says and believes about you. He's offering us internal freedom. He's offering us external freedom. That we can look at Christ and find rest in a weary world. Jesus even invites us, those that are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. He wants to give us that external freedom. Jesus also wants to give us eternal freedom through the forgiveness of the cross and the resurrection. This is the freedom that Jesus is offering. Not temporal, but eternal freedom. This is what he's saying to us. Don't cling to these things. Don't bow your knees to these things. Don't be enslaved to these sins. Instead, cling to the cross of Christ. Bow your knee to him there. And this leads us to the, the first truth. That's the rebuttal of the first myth. And it's this, that freedom is found in having Jesus as your Lord. See, the lie is, I've got to be my Lord. And that's where freedom is found. And Jesus is going to tell us here, no, freedom is found in having me as your Lord. Having Jesus Christ as our Lord. Now in verses 32 and verse 36, he says almost the same thing, but it's a little different. In verse 32, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Then you come down to verse 36 and you see, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So which is it? Jesus, is it the truth that sets us free? Or is it you that sets us free? And the answer is yes. See, truth is well more than a fact. This passage and this scripture as a whole is going to tell us that truth is actually a person. It is a fact, but it's much more than that. It's the embodied nature of Christ. Later on in the gospel of John, we'll get there, John 14. That's where he's going to say, I, I am the way the truth and the life. You want to know who the truth is? Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the truth. And so this appeal here is the truth will set you free and then later the sun will set you free. They are one and the same. For Jesus is the truth. And he's the one that offers us freedom in this truth. So how do we know this truth? And how do we know if we're walking in this truth? How? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 31. If you abide in my word... If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth. 
We have to know God's word. We have to abide in God's word. And what that means is that we read it and we know it. And then we bend our will to his word. That's what it means to abide in it. This is what Jesus sets as an example for us. I mean, God the Father sent the Son, and he even tells us in here, he said, I came not on my own accord, in verse 42, but my Father has sent me. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he prays, God the Father, is there any other way that this cup could pass from me, that these people could have freedom apart from me? And there was no other way, but he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's what Jesus does. He bows his knee to God the Father. He obeys his will. And when Jesus is saying here, you will abide in my word, we do the same thing. We read God's word. We know God's word. We dwell and we obey it. We bend our will to his word. And as we do that, that's where we find life. That's where we find freedom. That's where we find rescue. God gave us this in order that we would live an eternal, abundant life in him. This is what his words do for us. All that we would abide in them and cling to them and find this freedom that our souls long for. It's been several years ago now, back in 1970s, uh, this lady, Julianne Kapok, um, or Kopek rather, she was 17 years old. It's interesting, she was flying on a plane Christmas Eve uh, with her family, about 90 other passengers that were on this plane with them. And it's an amazing story. The plane gets struck by lightning and has a structural issue and the plane starts to break apart. And as she tells a story, she says, I'm still attached to my seat, but I'm seeing myself tumble over South America and I see the, the, the forest down below me and the trees look like little cauliflower that are going up uh, out of the ground. And, and then she's like, and then I just passed out. And the next thing she remembers is she wakes up in this jungle and she's there and she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. <laughs> So she just sits there where she had crashed for a day. She's like, I don't even know if they are gonna find me. I don't even know if they know I'm alive. And so what she does is she says, well, I can't stay here because if I stay here, all these trees are gonna make sure that anybody flying over can't see me. So what do I do? Where do I go? How do I live? How do I survive? And she remembers two things that her dad had told her, two words that her dad shared with her. She said, when you're, when you're out in the mountains, trying to find people water flows downhill and water leads to people and so she's like well those are the two things the two principles I know I don't know a lot I'm 17 years old in a jungle and so she starts to walk in her white Christmas dress and her high heel shoes she walks down the mountain and starts to follow the water and then she finds a stream and she follows this water for 11 days before she finds people when she finds people she's rescued and she's saved it's an amazing story. What led her to find rescue and, and to find life was listening to the words of her father. I mean, she listened to the words of her father and she lived them out and she found life and rescue. I mean, it's amazing that there were other people that crashed and they stayed right where they were. They had survived the crash. They stayed where they were and they didn't survive. But she did because she listened and obeyed the words of her father. Now, God's word tells us that Jesus is the word. He's the word. We looked at that in John chapter one. God the Father sent the word into the world that we could hear it and abide it and find life and freedom and rescue. We have to listen to it. We have to obey it. 
because it leads to the freedom that we so long for. This is what Christ is extending to you and to me today. And so two points of application with this truth. Church family, let us believe the truth. Let us believe the truth. And this is the truth. That sin leads to slavery, but faith leads to freedom. Sin leads to slavery, but faith leads to freedom. And I'm not talking about a generic faith. I'm talking about the faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on our behalf and the truth that he shared for us to believe in him. May we stop believing the lies that sin is going to satisfy us and look to our Savior who can truly free us. Second application is this. Let us resist the urge to justify ourselves. Even right now, let us resist the urge to justify ourselves. See, many of us hear that we're enslaved to sin if we practice sin. And we start to, to justify ourselves even in this moment. To say, well, I'm not practicing sin, right? I just do a little bit of sin here. I can quit whenever I want to. Like, I'm not really struggling that much with lying. It's just a little bit of lying. A little bit of white lying. Like, that's okay to do, right? I'm not lusting. I'm just, I'm just a little bit of lusting. But it's not a lot. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. I, I'm not greedy all the time. I'm just greedy some of the time. And we start to justify these chains that are on us when Christ has come to free us. I mean, some of us are like, I can stop doing these things because I've already stopped a thousand times, right? You've tried to stop and you stop and then you go back and do it again. And Christ is like, no, 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 I don't want you to return to those chains. I want you to be free. And so let us stop justifying our sins. And let's look to our Savior to break those sins and to break these chains. And we would find freedom in him. This is what Christ wants to do today. The second myth that we find some believing in this passage is the myth that the counterfeit is as effective as the true thing. That the counterfeit is just as effective as the true thing. I mean, this is something that we believe in our world, right? If we can save a little money, we're okay with the counterfeit. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, all the major cities you go to, you can find counterfeit items all over the place. And our government just a couple years ago seized close to $2 billion worth of counterfeit items in our country alone. I mean, it's everywhere. We look at it. I mean, it wasn't long ago, there was a, a big sting that happened and a bust that happened in Philadelphia where they caught 20,000 different electronics that were being sold that were counterfeits there. So people are like, man, this isn't a big deal. This, isn't, this is not an issue. I'll take my Z-Box instead of my Xbox. You know, I'll take my Focalies instead of my Oakleys. I don't care, you know, as long as I have it. And so they're buying up these electronics. They're buying up these computers thinking it's not a big deal, Right? What they had found is that these computers, these apples that they were apparently purchasing, were set to steal their identity. They were set up to, to rob from them, take their money. And these people thought that these counterfeits were a way to save money, and they were actually losing money. They had to actually find themselves, and they're actually losing their identity. What we find in this passage is that these people that are arguing with Jesus are believing in the counterfeit rather than the true, and they're losing far more than money in their identity. They're losing their souls. They're losing their souls. You see, Jesus extends to them freedom, and they're like, Jesus, no, we don't want freedom. We've already got freedom because Abraham is our father. And this is the counterfeit they're believing, that their birth or their heritage is what brings freedom, what brings salvation. That's what they believe. That's the counterfeit lie that they're believing in this moment. They're thinking, well, Abraham is our father. That's what they said in verse 39. 
They're like, it's about being in the right family and God owes us salvation because we're in the right family. We have to understand this truth. The road to heaven is narrow. You go and enter into the road of heaven single file, okay? You don't get into heaven because you know somebody that loves Jesus. You don't get into heaven because you're like, man, my mom loves Jesus a lot and so I know God's gotta let me into heaven because she's prayed for me and my mom's good enough for the both of us. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And that's what they're claiming in this moment. We've got Abraham in our lineage. Abraham was like the founder of all this. Like we are good. We're saved. We have freedom because we're a part of this lineage, because of who our family is. As they cling to this counterfeit though, they're losing their souls. You see, it's not about bloodline, but faith line that we find freedom. Freedom and salvation is not about a, a an inheritance that we have from our family, but it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They were confident in their Jewishness and not confident in Jesus Christ. And church, that's where we rest and our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get into heaven because we profess him as Lord. We believe in him. As we believe in him, we find life. And so as they make this claim about the counterfeit, and Abraham's our father, we have freedom. Jesus responds in verse 39, if you're Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that he did. What works did Abraham do? You think about the Bible, what did Abraham do? Well, it tells us in the book of Hebrews that he placed his faith in God. And when he placed his faith in God, it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the works he did. His belief, his belief in God. That's the faith that he has. He trusted in God enough to surrender his whole life and follow him, even though he didn't know all things. I mean, think about it. God comes to him and says, I want you to go to a land that I'm gonna give you and your descendants. Abraham, go. He's like, okay, God, I'll do that. Where, where's the land that we gotta go? Let me make a note here. He's like, I'll show you, just go. And he has faith and goes, which I mean, I think it's a lot harder for his wife, Sarah, right? Like, we're gonna go. Where, where are we going, Abraham. I don't know, God just said to go. I mean, God got to talk to Abraham about that and then Sarah just has to take Abraham's word for it, right? And she has faith to say, okay, we'll go. And that's what Jesus is pleading with them in this moment. Do the works of Abraham. Have faith in me. Believe in me and you will be free. Be free indeed. But they're clinging to this, this birth. That's where I'm gonna find my freedom. And it's not only that, they also cling to their behavior. This is the other counterfeit that are believing in this moment. That their behavior, their morality is going to get them to this freedom. It's gonna get them to this life. And as Jesus and his gracious love starts to push and prod in these areas that their hearts are rebellious and believing these lies, they start to push back on Jesus. I mean, we all do this in anything we're insecure in. We start to become insecure, so what do we do? Like we wanna kinda push somebody else down so it lifts us up, right? So if you're, you know, you, you've got certain finances but they're not great, you're like, well, it's better than that person's finances. Or you play sports and you're maybe not great at sports but you're like, well, I'm better than that person. And so you start to push others down to, to move you up. And that's what they do here. Jesus says you should be doing the works of the father Abraham and they're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? And then they change gears on him in verse 41. And they said to him, when he's pushing on their works, they say, you know what, at least we're not born of sexual immorality. 
We know who our father is. Do you know what they're doing in verse 41? This is your Mother's Day verse, okay? They are bringing out your mama slams on Jesus. That's what they're doing in this moment. Did you catch that? Like literally, they're, they're there and he's like, you need to be doing the works of Abraham. You need to have faith. And they're like, well, you know what? At least our mom didn't sleep around before she got married. That's what they're doing. I mean, they are slamming Jesus' mother. They're slamming Mary in this moment. So Jesus is like, you want to talk about my, my mom? All right, let's talk about your dad for a second. And he leans in. And he's like, your dad's the father of lies. You're believing these lies. You're believing these counterfeit lies. And then G- Jesus turns in verse 46. And he's like, let's stop talking about my mom. Let's stop talking about your dad. Let's talk about me for a moment. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? You want to talk about morality? You want to try to push my mom down? Okay. What about me? Look at my morality. And these people would have seen Jesus' life. I mean, the disciples would have been walking with him for years. He's like, any of you, call me out. Call me out on the immorality and sin in my life. And nobody speaks up in this moment because he is perfectly righteous and sinless. And I'm thankful that he is because that is the only way we find freedom in life is because he lived the perfectly righteous life we could not. And our morality can't get away from all of our death and debt of our sins in the past. And so Jesus comes and his sinless nature stands in our place, takes on our sin in order to give us righteousness. This is where we find freedom. This is where we find hope. You see, this whole thing of these counterfeits are just as good. They're not. They're not. This leads to the second truth. Counterfeits, they just deceive. But the truth frees us. The truth frees us. Jesus, he talks about all these counterfeits in there and he highlights that, that Satan, the devil, is the father of lies. He says he deceives. This is what he's done. He's done it since the beginning. This is his character. This is who he is. He's just a liar and so he lies. And I hate it because our, our culture and even our, our ACC uh, heritage, right? We have a false view of what the devil really is. We think he's a, a blue guy in tights, right? That's what we think the devil is. Or we look at Hollywood and we're like, well, this is like, the really crazy, creepy things with heads spinning around and people throwing up. Like, that's really what the devil is. And I'm like, just like, no, Jesus, that's not what he says this moment. He's like, you want to know who the devil is? He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And because we've come up with this mirage of who Satan is, we don't believe in him anymore. I mean, he's deceived us so much. We're like, man, I don't even think there is really an enemy. I don't think there is somebody that's warring for my soul. I mean, the way that the devil's working in our world is not by biting people on the back of the neck it's by falsehoods that he sows within our hearts and there's three main falsehoods that he he preaches that we see throughout the bible that he tries to deceive us with today and first it's around the will of god he'll try to deceive us he'll try to preach these lies about the will of god say things like is that really what god said is that really what god wanted you to do and that's where it all started, right? There at the garden, he said, did God really say that? And gets us to start questioning what God said. And we'll start to, to question, I don't know. I don't know what God said. And because we're not firm in God's word and we're not thinking about it, those things start to lead us away from the will of God to our own selfish will. Second thing he'll deceive us around is the word of God. He'll get us thinking things like, man, this book is so old. 
It doesn't know anything, right? It was written, it was written years ago. We got spiritual books today. We can hop on Amazon and buy one. Go down to Barnes and Noble and pick one up. I mean, those were written like in the last decade. They've got to be better, right? So we start to look at those things that tell us that, man, you be the Lord of your life. You control everything. Your life is going to be better. Chains. Chains. That's what he does. Or he'll try to deceive us around the work of God. Around the work of God. He'll whisper things to us like, Man, did Jesus dying on the cross really forgive you? Some of us think, man, there's no way that Jesus will forgive me again. I've sinned. Christ's work isn't sufficient. It's not enough. Then we start to believe the lies that Christ can't save us. He doesn't really want to free us. And so we just come back and we cuddle up with our chains again and we stay in our slavery. This is what Satan's going to lie and tell us. But Christ came to break the change and to free us and to give us eternal life. And I love verse 42. This is the verse I kept coming back throughout this week over and over again. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. He's here. Think about that for a second. You don't find this in any other religion any other religion in the world. Every other religion says God sits on top of the mountain, you work on your morality, you climb that mountain as fast as, and as hard as you can, and if you're good enough, maybe you'll get to the top of the mountain. Maybe if you can put your morality on the scales, it'll, it'll balance the scales out, and your sin and your morality will be equal, and God will let you into heaven. But that is not what we find in Christianity. We find a God who is holy and, and, and far transcendent above us, and he looks down on us and doesn't say, good luck. Try to climb up here with your morality. That's not what he says. He comes down for us because he knows we can't be righteous enough to get to him. No other religion offers that freedom. He came for us and he says, I'm here. He's pleading with these people. He's pleading with you. I'm right here. You're looking for your freedom and all these counterfeits. I'm right here in front of you. Why can't you see it? Why won't you believe the truth? I've come that you will be free and free indeed. So two points of application as we close. One is this. Let us trust in Jesus and be freed from sin's deception. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us all these things in this passage. He didn't tell all the people these things in this passage in order to give them information, but in order to give them an invitation. These people aren't supposed to walk away. We're not supposed to walk away saying, well, man, that's great. I know some facts about how the devil lies to me. That's fantastic. I know new facts about how they were enslaved as a Jewish people. That's not what Jesus is doing in this moment. This is placed in the Bible that you would believe and in believing you would find life. So Jesus isn't wanting you just to have information, but an invitation. She would come to him. If the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Come to him. Come to him and leave the chains behind and find freedom in him. I'll give you a chance to do that in just one more second. Let me give you a second point of application. Let those of us who have believed in him fight against the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. You see, anytime we, we see Jesus interacting with temptation and warring against it, we always see that scripture is at his fingertips. He's always responding to these lies, these myths, these deceptions 
with truth. So church family, may we steep ourselves deeply in God's words that we could war against the lies in our world and live in the truth and freedom that Christ offers us. May we fight against the lies and cling to the truth of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me. I said for those that haven't placed their faith in Christ, haven't trusted in him, I was gonna give you a moment, an opportunity to place your faith in him and find freedom. And that moment's right now. That you would take this moment right now and you would pray to him. He's already made the way. He's already come from heaven to earth and bridged the gap that our righteousness could not bridge. Our morality could not get to. And so he says, I'm here. I'm here. What are you gonna do with Christ? If you wanna believe in him and you wanna find that freedom, then right now admit your need for a savior. Admit that you needed him to come and to rescue you because you were enchained to your sin. And then believe that his work on the cross counted for you somehow. His sinless life given for you was to wash away your sins and to give you freedom. And then confess him as Lord of your life and he will free you. Internally, externally, eternally, he will give you freedom in his name. Pray that right now to him and he will save you. If you're still here and you're having questions, you're wrestling with things, God's not afraid of your questions. I just invite you right after service, the back corner of the room, we have an area called Next Steps. Go there and talk to somebody. Ask them your questions about God, wrestle with them and tell them what you're struggling with and allow them to pray with you. Don't leave here without seeing Christ and believing the truth. For those of us that know Jesus Christ, that live in this freedom, may you pray this week that God would give you boldness to share this freedom. May you take the bold steps to declare his goodness and his mercy to free others from their chains. You have friends, you have family members that might not even think that they're in chains, just like the people in this story. Would you pray for an opportunity that God would open that door this week that you could share the love of Jesus Christ and the liberating work that he gives us through his life and his death and his resurrection. Would you pray for those who are enchained to their sins now? Pray for them. Christ, we thank you that if you have set us free, we are free indeed. Thank you for the hope that we have in that. God, and you are great and greatly to be praised because of it. So Lord, stir our hearts to praise you with all of our lives. But right now to praise you with how we respond to this truth. As we respond with, with singing and with bringing our offering to you and with praying. God, may we respond to your truth today to the glory of your name. And it's in your name we ask this. Amen.
Stand and let's sing to Jesus now.